Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a scale-up ally for tech founders. And what a special day it is today, because I have with me Andrew Bruce, the CEO of Data Gumbo. Hello, Andrew. Thanks for joining. Hello. How are you? I'm very good today. So let's get started. Let's talk about Data Gumbo. What do you do and what difference do you make in the world for what kind of customers? We provide a smart contract network for enabling industrial companies to automate the execution of their contracts using an integration of IoT data and blockchain technology. So we, we wow, drive down some, uh... the, the cost of execution. That's awesome. Okay, so a lot of very cool technology involved in their blockchain and IoT, but then for industrial companies, so those are not necessarily always, I'm guessing, the the most eager buyers of what's newest in the market, right? So uh, can you give us a concrete example of where uh, Data Gumbo makes a real difference to one of your industrial clients? If you take supply chain, so the delivery of commodities, whether it be diesel or chemicals or people mm -hmm. or water or anything like that. The traditional way that that has been bought and, and paid for is somebody goes and uh, delivers a product, they sign a field ticket, they generate an invoice, they send the invoice to the customer, the customer disputes it, they argue for 120 days. <laughs> Hopefully there's no partners involved, but if there's partners involved, then it gets really messy. And it's long, complicated, expensive, and very inefficient. We change it to much more of like when you go to a gas station, you go to a gas station and you swipe a credit card, you pump the gas and you leave. Our question is, why is not every industrial transaction exactly the same? We've got all the data, we've got all the contracts, let's just automate them and turn it into an automated transaction, just like going to a gas station, swipe your credit card, pump the gas and leave. That's a great analogy, Andrew. I really love that. And everyone can just uh, feel right away what a difference that makes, right? So how did you get into this business? What's the history of Data Gumbo? And how did you hone in on this particular use case? Very interesting story. I started out trying to build an autonomous drilling rig for a company I used to work for, uh, using algorithms from the space program. And we needed lots of data from lots of different places, from companies who didn't like each other very much. And so we started Data Gumbo to solve the data problem. How do we get access to data, standardize it, clean it up, and make it available to do interesting stuff? So we were talking to a large company about you know, how they could improve their contract performance. And they said, you know, if we could improve this metric by one minute, which I knew they could do because it was all about autonomous drilling, then <laughs> we could save $250 million a year. Wow. Which uh, is not nothing. And so I said, well, why the heck aren't you doing that? And they said, well, we can't get our suppliers to work with us. And I said, well, why not? And they said, why don't you go and ask them? So I went and asked them. I said, why aren't you doing this? Because you know that I know that you can do it. And they said, well, we would love to, but we don't trust that we will ever get paid a bonus if we'd improve our performance. So why the heck would we improve our performance? We're getting paid fine today. Thank you very much. So no. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this $250 opportunity sitting on the table. And I just became fascinated with how you could solve that. And I had a friend working for Microsoft at the time, and he'd ask me about Bitcoin and blockchain and cryptocurrencies and all this other rubbish. And I'd come to exactly that conclusion. It's a bunch of rubbish. But I started thinking about it. And if you've got 
blockchain, you can have a smart contract, which is just yes. a computer algorithm. Mm-hmm. So what we could do is we could use the, we could capture the commercial intent of the contract in the algorithm of the smart contract. We could use the data platform to measure exactly what's happening in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And you could use the physical delivery of the service to trigger the terms of the smart contract. And then you can store all the results in a blockchain. So all the parties to the transaction get an exact same copy of, of, the, of the results. And, the, and you can also use that to automate the payment. So you just created trust in an untrusted environment. That's really so, what you're what you're solving here for. It sounds like like a pretty dysfunctional legacy environment that you're turning into a very functional, highly optimized and trusting environment where everyone can just trust on trust the data rather than, than distrusting each other. And how did you then turn that from what I guess was your first customer into a more of a scalable go-to-market proposition. How did you find your additional customers and how has that been going? We were fortunate. We were working very closely with something called the Operators Blockchain Consortium, yep. which is now called Blockchain for Energy. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, 10 of the world's largest oil and gas companies. Mm-hmm. And so they had some use cases that they wanted to explore and they picked us for one of them. And the lessons we learned from that and the interactions with those companies gave us the the knowledge and the confidence and the credibility to move forward. And then we were invested in by Equinor and Saudi Aramco. (laughs) And so then all of a sudden we had the backing and the credibility. So those two events really kind of gave us the, the jumpstart. If you know, if we needed to be able to get into the space and really understand it and get the credibility and the staying power. Yeah. And it sounds like being part of that blockchain for energy consortium, not only got you in contact with the right companies, but even with the right buyers within those companies. Was that right? That's correct, yes. Who would you say your typical buyer is in one of those energy companies? Supply chain manager. Yeah, supply chain or, manager. Or, or an operational manager, somebody who's, somebody who's tasked with reducing the expense within a company. Yeah, okay. So that's really the benefit to your customers, right? It's cost reduction, that's it. Cost reduction, but it's also transactional certainty how do we ensure that you're only paying for what is actually delivered and how do you ensure that you actually get paid for what you do deliver and how do you reduce the payment time so rather than you know having 120 day payments you can bring it down to contractual value like 30 days or you can even bring it down to daily if you want the financial incentives built in for each of the counterparties Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So you did mention you got investment from Equinor and Saudi Aramco. So congratulations. That's uh, really uh, great to pull that off. Was that a difficult decision process to either seek money, seek funding from corporate investors such as Equinor and Saudi Aramco? Or did you also consider alternatives such as more traditional venture capital? Yeah, we considered more traditional venture capital, but you know, when you're trying to introduce a new technology, you really need the business sponsor as well. So by taking the, the strategic money as opposed to the institutional money, it gave us not only the capital, but it also gave us the, you know, the customer base as well. So I mean, that clearly is, because what we're, what we're building is a network, right? We're building a network of interconnected nodes Yep. different companies and, and if, if you're trying to get a network or platform business off the ground you need anchor tenants you need the people who are going to provide you the initial anchor tenant the initial pull for the yes. network mm-hmm. and so that was as important to us as just 
was cash. And so by being able to, to get the anchor tenants on board, that, that was the, the start of the flywheel moving, if you like. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I get a lot of questions from founders, like we have an interesting offer from more uh, corporate investors, but, you know, VCs tell us we shouldn't take that money. So it sounds like your advice would be look at the bigger picture and see what else can they bring to the table rather than the money. And is that crucial for your business model? Yeah, and I mean, it, it may be different for different business types, right? We, we are very explicitly a network and a, uh, with a platform mentality. If you are if you're selling a, a solution that doesn't have that network requirement, then maybe maybe you don't need the the anchor tenant uh, nature that we needed because you don't need the the pull of you don't have to get the flywheel going. Very very good. And what can you share, Andrew, in terms of the traction that GomboNet and Data Gumbo has seen so far? Can you share anything about the number of nodes or the growth metrics, whatever you're comfortable to share? Well, I can tell you that since we were invested in by Aramco and Equinor, we've, we've doubled in size. Mm-hmm. We've got an office in, in Norway, we've got an office in London. We're looking at opening an office in the Middle East, process of doing that, mm-hmm. and then offices in Latin America and basically wherever the business takes us. So I think you can tell from those metrics how we've grown. It's been pretty pretty astounding, actually. It's uh, Because you're dealing with, you know, we, we started in the energy business, even though we're focused on industry, we've started on energy. And that's a multinational business, so you have to be, Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be, you have to be where the customers are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in this energy business, of course, it was famously, I would say, quite affected by the whole fluctuations in the market due to the pandemic this year, right? So uh, we even had negative oil prices at some point in time. I, I seem to remember. So was that a big fluctuation for Data Gumbo as well? How did you manage yourself through all these fluctuations in the market? Yeah, the, the negative oil price was actually really good for us. It was the tipping point if we needed because okay. we, companies have to save money. And the easiest yep. thing in the world for a corporation is to do nothing. But if you have to save money, <laughs> then you really you can't do nothing. So it was a, a tipping point for us that really started give, giving us additional momentum for that flywheel I keep talking about. So it was actually good. And then our international business travel expenses went down. And the ability yes. to have more meetings in a day went up. So in <laughs> in reality, it's actually been good for, I hate to say it, but it's been good for us. Absolutely. Yes, I can totally see. Does that mean that you really, as you say, the easiest thing for a corporation is to do nothing? Does that mean that in a way doing nothing is your biggest competitor? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, status quo. How does data come up? State, state <laughs> status quo, yeah, the biggest, inertia. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's because what we're doing is is substantially different. So mm-hmm. if you take a if you take an internal payment process that takes forty five different steps and multiple different sign offs and multiple different people's jobs are involved and, and you turn that into a an automated process, then you're changing fundamental things about how the business is done. You're making it more efficient. You're changing people's jobs. So one of the there was a a company we were talking to in a sales situation. They said, Well, thank God you're here because now, I trained to be an engineer, and really what I'm doing is pushing paper for invoices. So what you're enabling me <laughs> to do is get back to being an engineer. So I don't have to push paper and worry about field tickets and have people come and bug me. We've got what we call touchless transactions. So in the world of COVID, it's fantastic because yeah, now you there's, people don't have to chase each other around and get signatures. It's, uh, it's 
Just interested in how you actually attack that inertia problem a little bit more, you know? So, uh, because this is a problem I hear from a lot of founders, right? When they come up with like a new workflow or a new habit in a way, how do you go against the inertia of what people have already? Do you position it as like a little pilot project or do you try to attack the, the status quo head on? What's been your, your experience there? Pilots are lethal. <laughs> uh, I hate pilots. I think every entrepreneur should hate pilots because you do the pilot and then you get stuck in this valley of hell when the company's evaluating, do they want to go forward or not? So if you spend all that time selling the pilot and now you've delivered the pilot, now you have to go and resell it again to get it live. It's much easier to say, especially with us, it's a subscription. So rather than doing a pilot, why don't we do a project? Let's do a small project. It's a low risk project and let's get you live. So mm -hmm. from day one to going live, you know, 45, 90 days, and let's get it live. Let's do it, do it for real. There's no point in doing a pilot. Mm -hmm. And then let's build on that and let's build on that because we're not ripping and replacing anything. We're building an infrastructure on top of an existing infrastructure. And then you can, as people get more comfortable with it, they start, start saying, well, we don't need this and we don't need this. And we don't. Mm. So they start turning off pieces that they don't historically need. So it's much more a matter of let's get started. Let's get the thing in production. And then we can start turning things off. And so pilots are help. I'll never do a pilot. That's my advice to anybody. But you do seem to say, like, let's start with a relatively small scope. Would that then be limited to, like, maybe one supplier or one use case and yep. then expand people on that? Yep, exactly right. So start with one use case with one supplier and one part of the country. And then let's roll it out to the whole country. And then let's roll it out to different parts of the world. Then let's add new commodities. And so you just start building uh, projects on, onto each project. And it's... Because once you've got the infrastructure in place, you don't have to build it any. You don't have to have a connection to the ERP is what I'm really talking about. Once you've got mm -hmm. the connection to an ERP, you don't have to do that again. Oh, and by the way, this connect this company over here is already connected. Oh, and they they already haul um, or they transport you know, this product for you for somebody else, so we can just connect them very quickly. And so then it just becomes a matter of the testing cycle. So the power of the network drives additional adoption. Excellent. Very, very good. And I think that, uh, you know, starting from that use case, that's, I can see why you're using the word flywheel so much. That must be in your head all the time, right? That's uh, Absolutely. a very, very key concept there. But can we talk a little bit about uh, the team that uh, Dato Gumbo has been building up? Uh, how, by how much have you grown and how do you typically divide the resources between the different functions that you have? Yeah, uh, we've grown, we're about close to 60 people now. And so we've recently embarked on something called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, yep. because in my experience, startups kind of, I've seen in many startups I've been involved in myself, where they get to 50, 60 people and they implode under their own weight because the systems yeah. and processes that got you from startup to now impede you from going forward. Absolutely. So we've been very deliberate and there's a book called The Traction Gap about how you have to systematize your business to be able to grow to the next stage. So we've been going through the EOS process. And so now we have a product group, we have a commercial group, we have a finance and HR group, and then we have different country managers who are responsible for different parts of the world. So 
that's basically how we, we split up the company. And then we use an EOS process to uh, set milestones and provide accountability and uh, within the company. That's a great practice to use a system such as EOS to get people aligned. What would you say has been the biggest change since you started implementing EOS from Data Gumbo as it was before and as it is operating now? Two things. Number one, they have this concept called an L10 meeting, yeah. which it forces you to discuss the hard issues. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, I mean, it's almost like a continuous improvement uh, mm-hmm. initiative because you're, you're bringing up the issues, you're fixing them, you're, and basically you're systematizing the solutions that were issues in the past, and now they, become, they can become solutions going forward. Yeah. And then there have been some, we had, I, I think that's actually the biggest thing because it drives accountability, it drives behavior, it drives, it drives everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing was we you know, reviewed the, the values of the company. We have values that we'd grown up with. And then the EOS process has got a very structured way of thinking about recruiting people, retaining people, motivating people. And so, you know, we went back and revisited, you know, what our values were. And that was a very interesting process. It was not something that I, we ended up with values that I, I didn't expect. So, but I think that's going to help us really help people understand, you know, if you're going to come to Data Gumbo, what does it mean to work with Data Gumbo? And, what kind of people are we looking for and how do we talk about, you know, the value that we're bringing to customers. And mm-hmm. so that was also pretty, pretty interesting. Very, very cool. I often get uh, founders asking me like, should I really spend time on values? Is that not something that's more for like corporates? Uh, what's your experience here? That's incredibly important in my opinion, because mm-hmm. for example, one of our values is comfortable with chaos, right? Yeah. So if, if you're in a startup, or I would argue any company, the only constant is change. Yep. And so if you're in the interviewing process, you, you need to be discussing, okay, this is, you're not coming to the corporate world, you're coming into a startup world. Everything changes all the time. It's a dynamic environment. And uh, so another of the values is being solution-oriented. Yep. So as you're going through this comfortable with chaos situation, you have to be thinking about, okay, how do I bring it up as an issue in the L10 meeting? How do I systematize it? How do I improve it? And so, and then we can keep on improving the company. So when you're interviewing people, you, you need to be discussing that so that you get the right people in the company and you don't the expensive mistake of hiring the wrong person, not because they're not qualified, but because they're not comfortable with chaos. I mean, that's not who they are, right? So I think that it's, if you get the values right, they are extremely valuable in how you build the company and how you think about hiring and reviewing people and whether the, whether you've got the right person in the right job is also another you know, aspect of the EOS system. Absolutely. And the values help you answer that. The one question I often get about the team growth from different founders is that when you do get to the tens of people, like about 60, as you say, how do you divide that up between investing in products versus investing in the go-to-market, the commercial side, and then... Uh, how much is remaining typically for finance and infrastructure? We tend to look at industry published ratios. Okay. Like the best, the best in my ratios, for example, for SaaS companies. Yeah. And use those as a gauge of whether mm-hmm. or not we are, we're on track or not. And you know, we, we try, try and manage our money as, as tightly as we can. Obviously, at any startup, the, the money is, is uh, the scarce resource. So it's a real, it's a real challenge because you, you've got this massive sales opportunity. So you need to be hiring the, the sales force to, to land it. But then you also need to be investing in the product. So when, yeah, once again, you, it's, you go back to industry ratios and see if you're scaling appropriately. 
then I think like figuring out your go-to market and how to how to do that efficiently is typically what takes many startups quite a while, right? To experiment with all the different channels they could be using, figuring yeah, out absolutely. how to really scale it. Is that the phase you're currently in? Would you say? Yeah, we've um, up until now we've had a very direct sales model, but now we're getting into much more of a partnership model. So you know, working with other companies, we have something called the ambassador program as well. So mm-hmm. people who uh, come from industry and got you know long expertise and long contacts. You know, and how can they get involved? I mean, what we're doing is pretty exciting to a lot of executives who want to believe in trying to improve the way business is done. So, you know, providing an incentive program that they can get involved in. So, we're transitioning from being direct sales to being partner driven, as, as well as embedding our products within other products as well as, an, as another channel we're exploring. Excellent. So when people are listening to this podcast, what could our listeners potentially help Data Gumbo with? Are you hiring? Are you looking for partners? Are you looking for customers? What are you looking for and where can they go to help you? I think the ambassador program is probably the most interesting thing because it's, it's a way that we can increase the scope of what we do and we can help pay people for, for their expertise and their contacts. So go to links datagumbo.com slash ambassadors. Um, there's a there's a sign-up program there. That's how you can get involved. And uh, I think that's probably the, the best way that people can take advantage of what we're doing, get involved themselves, and really take this to the next level. That's awesome. Well, I really thank you for this extended interview, Andrew. It was uh, fascinating to hear more about how blockchain is being applied to the world of industry and energy in particular. Once again, Andrew Bruce, CEO of Data Gumbo, www.datagumbo.tabling. Is that right? Did I have that right? And looking forward to leading many more ambassadors into your program. Yeah, so it's, that link is, is not just the webpage, so it's links.datagumbo.com slash ambassadors. That's a really good. Thank you for specifying Other than that, thank you everyone for listening and we'll have a new episode ready for you next week. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.